0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg.
1: Letter number three, page 32. And this is a letter which is based on a verse taken from Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17. Isaiah says about Hashem, by Yilbash Tzedakah Kashiria that God is going to put on. Tzedakah could either mean charity or it can mean righteousness. Here, literally, it means God will don, will put on, wrap himself with um, righteousness, like an armor, a helmet of salvation on his head, so to speak. He will put on garments of vengeance. And he will clothe himself in zealousness like a coat. And this is in defense of the Jewish people. That's the literal meaning of the word. word meaning that it's a a metaphor. But the way Hashem treats us is really a reflection of the way we serve Hashem. Hashem responds. Hashem is interactive. God is interactive. He responds in kind to us. So in order for Hashem to put on righteousness as a armor and to put on a helmet of salvation upon his head, it's in response, it's interactive, it's in response to us acting in a way, in a charitable way. When we put on righteousness, tzedakah, when we do, here in the meaning of the word tzedakah, when we do acts of tzedakah and we put it on like a coat, like an armor, and we put on a helmet of salvation in our head. So the Al-Tarabi is going to explain, based on the Talmud, the Talmud says, what does it mean that God will put on, what does it mean, tzedakah? Why does he compare tzedakah, charity-like armor? What's, What's the comparison? Why is tzedakah like armor? So the Rabbi said, what it means is, that just like Armor, which is made of chunks, little chinks, little, and you put it all together, and it all adds up to a big armor which protects you. So too, tzedakah, every penny that you give to tzedakah, it all adds up to a huge, a great amount. And al Rebbe is going to explain what does this analogy mean. What does what insights do we learn? What does it mean that we're comparing giving tzedakah? To putting on armor, and what does it? What does the Talmud mean that if you add many pennies, it adds to a huge account? I mean, you don't need the Talmud to tell you that. Obviously, if you're going to add a lot of small things, it comes to a huge amount. What, what insights is the Talmud giving us? It helps us have a new understanding, or evolutionary understanding, of the whole of idea of tzedakah of of, um, of charity.
2: This verse, in fact, speaks of Hashem's promised actions in defense of His people. Nevertheless, the deeds of Jews that mirror Hashem's deeds serve as a vessel which can receive or as a means which can bring about Hashem's reciprocal action. Hence, when Jews act in a righteous and charitable manner, in the spirit of the term tzedakah, such conduct attracts and calls for divine activity on their behalf. In particular, a Jew's divine service that resembles Hashem's own acts of saddukkha contains within it a protective coat of mail for his body and a helmet of salvation for his head. On this verse, our sages of blessed memory commented Just as with chain mail, all the individual scales add up to form a large coat of mail, so it is with charity. All individual coins given to charity add up to a great amount. The altar reverend now anticipates a question. What is gained by this analogy? Surely it is just as obvious that all the individual coins given to charity add up to a great amount as it is that all the individual scales add up to form a large coat of mail.
1: So shiryan comes from the word that we find in the Bible and the Torah. Kashkeshes, scales of a fish. How do we know that a fish is kosher? If the fish has scales, fins and scales. Every fish that has scales has fins. So kashkeshes is scales. So too, a coat of armor is made up of scales. If ever saw a picture of a coat of armor, is made up of scales. They overlap. So the question is, what what does the Talmud, What's the Talmud coming to teach us? Just like scales, many scales make up one coat of armor. So too, many pennies of tzedakah, and little bit of tzedakah of charity that we give, adds up to one big account. Obviously, what does, what's he, I mean, what's what's he coming to teach us? What's he coming to tell us? And in order to understand this, first we have to understand why the scales overlap in each other. Why the specific analogy to a coat of armor that's made up of cascassium, that's made up of scales. The reason why they overlap each other is because the coat of armor has holes in it. And it's specifically meant to have holes in it. Otherwise you would suffocate. Just not only the person needs to breathe, the body also needs to breathe. If you're going to put the, a coat of armor which is pure metal and you just leave a hole for the mouth and for the eyes and the nose it's not healthy. You need ear to circulate. You need, the person needs ear. The body breathes. The body sweats. It needs it needs ear. And that's why you specifically make it filled with holes. The problem is if you have a coat of armor filled with holes <laughs> then you're not defended. Then you're not defending yourself. You just need the... the the uh, spear can, or the arrow can pi- pierce through the holes, and you're dead. So you make scales to cover the holes. So everything is blocked. You have the best of both worlds. You have the advantage, you have all the ears of circulating throughout the whole body. You're not suffocating, you're not dying. But at the same time, you also are protected. You have scales that cover the holes. And this analogy is very precise and with this we'll understand the insight that the Torah is telling us that the Prophet and the Rabbis are telling mm-hmm. us about the power of giving tzedakah, the power of giving tzedakah, uh, charity.
2: This means, and this is the additional point being made here, that just as the mail is made of scales covering gaps and these shield one against any arrow entering through the gaps, so it is with the act of charity. As will presently be explained, the spiritual dynamic of charity comprises A, an element that corresponds to the chinks in the coat of mail, and B, an element that corresponds to the protective scales, the coins, that cover the gaps.
1: So this is the the question, and he says the answer is when we understand the analogy. When the Torah uses an analogy, it's a precise analogy. So he's comparing it specifically to a coat of armor that's made of scales, which has the holes, and it also has the protection to cover up the holes. And this is the comparison, tzedakah. By giving tzedakah, this evokes that Hashem will also clothe himself in this scale to protect the Jewish people. In response to our giving tzedakah, which creates this Sharia and creates this, this coat of armor. And now he's going to explain what this all means. The, meaning, so the of this. meaning of this is as
0: follows. Charity is greater than all the commandments.
1: The Torah says that charity is greater than all of the commandments. It says charity saves a person from death. Whenever the Jerusalem Talmud refers to a mitzvah, a commandment without any adjectives, Although there are 248 commandments, positive commandments, it's referring to, we know what it's referring to. It's referring to the mitzvah of tzedakah. That's how powerful the mitzvah of tzedakah is. This part of the tanya, the fourth part of the tanya, is, focuses on many letters that discuss the advantage of giving tzedakah, the power of giving tzedakah and especially in other letters he's going to talk, emphasize giving tzedakah to the Holy Land of Israel support the Jewish people in Israel but the, the importance of giving tzedakah and this is greater than all the mitzvot and as he explained in uh, part one in Tanya that tzedakah really captures the essence of all the mitzvot because money is the ultimate ego symbol When a person is able to take his money and do something selfless and kind, and instead of money being divisive, money becomes a way to build bridges, to build connections, then this is the whole theme of all 630 mitzvahs, which is to take the ego and to transform it into something godly. And this is accomplished and more so through tzedakah. When you take money and you transform it into something holy and godly. That's what he explained earlier. Now he's going to say that tzedakah is, is greater than all the mitzvot. Continue.
0: So their performance produces garments for the soul. The performance of the commandments provides the garments that enable the soul to withstand the intense degree of divine revelation to which it will be exposed in Dan Eden, instead of being nullified by it.
1: Because a soul, even a soul, a holy soul, a soul is still an entity. So for a soul to receive the divine ray and illumination in the Garden of Eden after 120 years when the soul leaves the body, for the soul to be able to receive it, it's like we can't look directly at the sun. It's too hot, it's too, it's too bright. So you need a screen. you need sunglasses, you need something to, between you and the sun so you should be able to look at the sun if you want to look at the sun directly. So multiply that infinite times when the soul is going to look at the ray, even a glimmer of a ray of, of God who's infinite, of a godly light, the divine light, it's just too bright, it's just too intense. There's no way we can handle it. So we need a garment, a screen, a, uh, some glasses that we should be able to view, to view it. What are the garments made up of? out of our mitzvah? So especially tzedakah. This is true of all the mitzvahs, but especially the mitzvah of tzedakah, this provides for us the garments with which we can absorb and enjoy the light. If you can't look at the light, it just destroys you. But if you look at the light, then you you enjoy it, you're able to receive it, you're able to absorb
0: it. These garments are drawn forth from the infinite light of the Blessed I deriving from a source which is infinite, and able the soul to cope is the infinite degree of revelation which it will encounter encountered in Ghanedin, from the level of Sovev kol Alman. Unlike the mode of life-giving divine illumination, called Namale kol Alman, literally filling all the worlds, which becomes integrated and manifest within the creatures it animates, the mode of divine illumination, called Sovev kol Alman, literally encompassing all worlds, is not limited to the finite spiritual capacity of created beings, It transcends and affects them from afar, so to speak. The meaning of Amalei Koloman and *sove Koloman has been explained in Lekutei Amarim. See there.
1: That's the first portion of the Tanya, chapter 48. So, basically, there are two levels of Divine Light and Divine Life Force. There's one that we call, God fills all the worlds. And then there's a level where God transcends the worlds. And just like the human analogy, there is the level of the soul energy which fills every organ in the body and is custom-made for every organ in the body and is absorbed and fully received by every organ in the body. For example, the brain, brain power, the soul's capacity to comprehend, to understand, to go deep and go deeper is enclosed and fully found and expressed and received and absorbed in the brain. The soul's capacity to feel and to feel deeply and to feel emotional capacity of the soul is found, resides in the heart. When you feel your heart, uh, your heart pumps, your heart shakes, you feel it. It's not just, it's physical. Because the ability of the soul is captured The ability to feel is captured and received by the heart. You don't feel with your brain and you don't comprehend with your heart. Your comprehension is in the brain. The brain is, is built such that it's able to receive and absorb the soul's ability to comprehend. And the heart is built in a way that it's able to receive and absorb the soul's capacity to feel. And so too with every organ in the body. It perfectly matches that capacity, that energy of the soul to walk, To paint, to write, whatever it is, the hands perfectly capture that ability and it's able to receive it and it's able to express it. So you can feel that energy. That energy is something that we're conscious of. That's the conscious level of the soul. The conscious level of the soul is very finite and limited and is received and absorbed according to each organ according to its ability. And that's what we feel, that's what we're conscious of. But that's not the whole story. You know, we're each made up of 100 trillion cells. Our human mind can't even begin to comprehend it. Our subconscious is a world, has a life of its own. We're not even aware of it. Our whole conscious self is like the tip of the tip of the iceberg. 99% of what goes on in the human organism, we're clueless. You can go through your whole life and you have no idea what happens when you eat, how your food is digested, the complex... Things that have to happen in order for us to when you walk, uh, thousands of muscles have to work in, in harmony. It's just we can't even begin to wrap our mind around the millions and trillions of things that have to happen simultaneously in a split second basis that's happening throughout the organism. Only today we're getting to get a glimpse, we understand, we're learning to appreciate the complexity. Where does all that happen? We are blissfully unaware. And that's the main event. And even the mind, where does the mind, our awareness, where does that come from? Ultimately, it comes from the subconscious, which we're completely unaware of. Only occasionally we get some glimpse. We get an I am from our subconscious. We get a eureka moment, uh, uh, uh a bolt of lightning, suddenly something pops into our head seemingly out of nowhere and we get a brilliant idea. What do you mean out of nowhere? It didn't come from nowhere. It didn't come from thin air. It came from within us. But that part within us we're completely clueless, completely unaware of. That's what we call the general life, the general energy. And we don't, we're not, we don't deliberately and consciously sense it, but we all have that. You know, someone walks into a room and you have a certain feeling about that person. Now, that feeling that you have is because of thousands of interactions that you had with that person. and Because of... You know, if you had to start listing all the things that you know about that person, it would take you a few days. And yet that person walks into the room and in a split second, an instant, you just get a certain feel, a sense. You remind yourself of an opera, of an orchestra that you went to, a hundred-piece orchestra, and it took hours and uh, thousands of notes. and, And yet you just conjure up that whole image in one split second... You get a sense of that whole thing. It's a different level of... You're not, it's not linear. You're not listing one plus one plus one. It's like you're putting thousands of pieces all together in one split second. It's, that's almost a subconscious type of knowledge. We really deliberately and consciously access this level of knowledge. But that is the inner dynamic. That's what's really going on. That's where the life and vitality really is. But we don't sense that. Our whole level of operation, our whole arena of operation is on this finite, very finite spectrum, which is what we call our consciousness. And that to us is the beginning and end of all reality. And that's just the tip of the tip of the iceberg. We haven't even scratched the surface. What's really going on? With all 100 trillion cells within us, which all work harmoniously in one split second, every moment. So, you know, our bodies are like, Thousands of the most uh, thousands of drug factories that are that are producing the most exquisite drugs that are customized for every one of us, and those drugs don't harm have no no negative that's another thing you have thousands of interactions and none of them harm the other and all work perfectly you know they 're trying to make a computer that's based on dna i don 't know if the if it, if, if, yeah, if it's actual there's if there exists such a computer. But the computers that we have now are based on linear numbers, zeros and ones. And look how complex it is. If they can get a computer based on DNA, which does billions and trillions of things in one split second, it'll, take, it'll be like a quantum leap. It'll take the computer of the world to a whole new level. Because the body is such a complex computer, nothing like it exists. That's what we call nonlinear. It's save of linear It's transcendent. It's, it's millions of things happening simultaneously. We don't operate in that level. We're not equipped to operate in that level. We're not equipped to absorb that level. It's too much. Do you know what the, the function of the brain is, of the conscious brain is? It's not to learn knowledge. It's to keep out knowledge. Because the subconscious, it's like a flood. It's too much. It's like having the ocean coming, pouring out in your kitchen sink. Imagine the ocean pouring out. You wanted a cup of water, you had the whole ocean coming at you. The purpose of of all these pipes is to keep the ocean out, just just get a trickle, a little tiny trickle, that I can handle, a little tiny cup, that I can receive, that I can drink. The subconscious is like a raging ocean. It's, 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 It's an ocean, it's too much, we can't handle it. The purpose of the conscious mind is to block it out. When the Jews were taken hostage to Entebbe, and they were, first the whole plane was taken hostage, and then they freed all the non-Jews, Selectia, and they kept all the Jews in Uganda and Entebbe. And before the Israelis did the miraculous rescue, during a miraculous, miraculous rescue, they uh, debriefed those who were released. They flew to France, and they debriefed them. But they they hypnotize them. They debrief them because subconsciously we absorb so much more information. But the conscious mind just blocks it out. When you hypnotize someone, you can get all the be- all that information because they have to know precisely where every door is, how many guards there are, exactly the and and you know people don't know. People are not good observers. People are, so they they were able to sub- you access the subconscious and get all that information. So, this is, this is, so we see there's two different levels going on. There's the conscious level, which is very, we call very finite, very limited. The energy matches the vessel. It's a perfect fit. It's limited. The, the vessel could receive the energy, feel the energy, sense the energy. But that you have, then you have an energy which is transcendent, and we're completely oblivious to it. Not because it's not real, not because it's not dynamic, not because it's not, it's not... It's so dynamic, it's so real, we just can't handle it. So we completely block it out. We, we, we can't absorb it. We're not vessels for it. So we are oblivious to all of this inner dynamics that's going on as we speak. Completely oblivious. We are a microcosm. What's true, we're just a reflection of the divine. So there's two types of energies through which Hashem creates the world. One is an energy which Hashem, is called Memalik Hashem creates the tree, has the exact energy that organic life needs. The animal has the exact energy that animals need. The person has the exact energy that a person needs. The angels have the exact energy that the angels need. The higher levels of consciousness, spiritual realms. But all of these, this whole universe, known universe that we know of, And all the worlds and the parallel universes and the higher worlds and the angelic worlds and the spiritual worlds, and religion and mysticism and spirituality and all of that, it's all like the conscious level. So religion and mystics, all they know of is like the tip of the tip of the iceberg. The most minimal of the minimal. The level where God and clothes himself so to speak and concentrates himself and limits himself that we should be able to receive the energy sense the energy absorb the energy all these dazzling higher levels of consciousness and all these spiritual experiences and all the religion and the angelic experiences and all these different universes and ha- this is all the level of Mamalikala God himself his infinite self completely transcends the whole universe and the whole frame of reference of the universe it's like completely subconscious. Religion and the mystics are completely clueless. Buddha doesn't even know what the infinite looks like. What Hashem himself, his essence, looks like is totally transcendent. And the angels don't know. The angels have sitting and meditating for thousands of years. They don't stop for coffee. There's no, there's no sushi. There's no dinners. There's no sleep. All they do is sit and meditate day and night. And they're clueless. They have no idea. God is completely transcendent. And what happens is when God revealed himself at Sinai. and God gave the Jewish people the Torah. The Torah and Judaism are light years and light years and light years ahead of mysticism and religion. We're way beyond all of that. Angels. Way beyond that. We're dealing with Hashem himself, his infinite transcendent self that totally transcends the whole frame of reference of the universe. Because when you do a mitzvah, you're doing God's will. This is Hashem Himself. Will is Hashem Himself. And therefore, when you do a mitzvah, you have a revelation of God's transcendent self, that transcends the whole universe. But, we can't receive it. We don't have a vessel to receive it. It's beyond us. But after 120 years, when the soul leaves the body, the soul is able to capture a glimmer of a ray of God's infinite transcendent self, the result of the mitzvah that he had fulfilled, that soul fulfilled in this world. The reward is a consequence of the deeds and the way we live our lives in this world. So when we live our lives in this world, and we study Torah and we do a mitzvah, the reward of the mitzvah is the mitzvah itself. It's the mitzvah that generates the reward. By doing a mitzvah, by touching the divine, by fulfilling God's will, which is God's infinite transcendent self, the reward is that the soul is able to bask in the glimmer of a ray of this infinite light that the soul has drawn down as a result of his actions. The reward in the Garden of Eden after 120 years is a consequence of your behavior and your good deeds in this world. These
2: garments are brought into being by an arousal from below, i.e. the fulfillment of the command of God and the will of the supreme Being. Since the commandments emanate from the supreme will,
1: So just like within a person, there is a difference between will and let's say comprehension, which is also a power of a soul. The soul comprehends. Who comprehends? It's your soul that's comprehending. But there's a difference between when you say your soul comprehends something, or your soul feels something, your soul comprehends, or your soul will something, desire something. Comprehension has a place, a geographic place, your brain. you Comprehend with your mind. The soul's ability to comprehend resides in your brain. And you have the three different types of brains because you have three different faculties of comprehension like we learned in the first part of Tanya chapter 3 which you can go to in lessons in Tanya. It discusses the specific Chachma, Bina, Daas, the right brain, the left brain, the limbic brain. Versus where the soul desires. Where's your desire? Do you have a seat for desire? Your desire in your mind, your desire in your heart, your desire desire is all over. There's no place for desire. Your comprehension is in your mind, in your brain. Resides in your brain. Your emotions reside in your heart. Where's your desire reside? It's all over. You want to move your foot, Your, your foot moves automatically. It doesn't have to travel anywhere it's automatic your desire is all over everything that you do is is a result of your desire what's the difference between desiring wanting something and comprehension they both come from the soul the soul comprehends and the soul wishes and desires something there's a big difference because when you comprehend something comprehension is something you understand something you have something So the soul understands. Two plus two is four. Two plus two is four is an entity in itself. You can understand it, someone else can understand it, a third person can understand it. It, But it's an idea, it's something. When your soul understands this idea, your soul acquires something, it acquires an idea, a concept. But the concept is an entity in itself. So therefore, in a sense, it's something separate from your soul. But your soul acquires an idea, your soul acquires a concept, absorbs a concept, gets the concept, and owns the concept. But the concept is something separate from your soul, and your soul has the ability to acquire this concept. Willpower, however, is not like that. Willpower, I want something. That desire there's no entity here, there's no object it's only because I want that's what it's all about I am drawn to this I want this so it's my wanting it that creates the, that creates the desire there's nothing else, there's no separate entity I want it means my soul wants this so all there is is really you You're creating the desire. There is nothing else. It's not an entity in itself. So it's the soul wanting this. That's what creates the whole desire. So therefore the whole soul is involved. I want means I want it. And that's why you find very interesting. There's a big difference between understanding and wanting something. When you understand something, I can understand something 50%. I understand 75%. I don't get it 100%, but I understand some of it. I understand most of it, half of it. With desire, there's no such thing. Well, you did 99% of what I wanted you to do. No. You did nothing. What do you mean you did nothing? I did 99% of what you wanted Ask any customer, (laughs) walk into a store, if the store is not 100% of the way I want it to be, I'm out of here. Hey, nothing is perfect in life, but 90% you like. No, it's not the way we work, we don't work that way. store owners have to be in tune with the customers, it has to be perfect, it has to be exactly the way I like it, and how I like it, and how it's packaged, and everything has to be perfect. Or else, people walk with, vote with their feet, and just walk out. I'm not giving you business, but but I have ninety five percent of what you want. Either it's exactly what I want, and if it's not exactly what I want, I have nothing. I have ninety nine percent of what I want. I have nothing, because there is no entity. All there is is what I want. So either yeah, either is exactly the way I want it, or not. And that's the difference in Torah, studying Torah and doing the mitzvah. The mitzvah has to be 100% perfect. If you do the mitzvah 99%, but you miss one detail, you don't have the mitzvah. But I did have most of it. Almost everything. I didn't fulfill the mitzvah. It's like giving someone directions. They will give someone directions, complicated directions. And he follows all the directions. Except the last turn, instead of making a right, he made a left. <laughs> of course, he ended up lost. It's not fair. What do you mean? I followed 99.9% of the direction. One little thing I got wrong. I end up nowhere. <laughs> Especially in the dot com, we can appreciate it at the computer, right? You miss one little dot, and you're lost in cyberspace. But I got everything right. I missed one tiny dot. Well, that's the way it is. You miss one little detail... When the Jews build a tabernacle, the Torah gives us all the details. If you missed one tiny detail, the measurements were off by a half inch. Nothing happens. God's presence is not present. You gotta, the mitzvah has to be present. But in general, I'm doing, you know, it's the feelings, it's the general... No, there's no such thing. The whole mitzvah is, this is God's will. Either you did what God wants you to do, or you didn't do what God wants you to do. There's nothing else here. But, the, but I'm feeling spiritual I'm feeling holy I feel Jewish very nice but you didn't do what I asked you to do so you have nothing zero you don't have a mitzvah either you do what Hashem wants and therefore you have a connection and it's exactly what Hashem wants the way He wants when He wants how He wants it, down to the last tiniest detail all the specific details as spelled out in the code of Jewish law and then I have the mitzvah I have the connection I'm connected, I'm doing what Hashem wants. And I'm connecting to Hashem Himself. The will, God's will, is God Himself. God is turning me. This is where I am. This is what I want. You're fulfilling my will, you're connected. If you don't fulfill the will, you have none. Versus I'm learning Torah, understanding Torah, that's, that's why the mitzvot are compared to clothes. The to garments. Torah is compared to food that nourishes you. Mitzvot are compared to garments. Torah you internalize like food. You internalize. Your mind comprehends. Your mind understands. You grasp an idea. You understand it well. becomes part of you. And that nourishes you. And that nurtures you. And that becomes the food of the soul in the Garden of Eden after 120 years. The Torah that we learn becomes the food that nourishes us but the mitzvot of the gardens. Each one has an advantage over the other. Food, you intake. You internalize. It becomes part of you. Clothes are external. You can take it off. Food, once it becomes part of you, you can, it becomes inseparable. It becomes part of your blood. You can't separate it. From you. When you understand an idea, when you understand it, you can never, you, can never un, you know, Not understand it. Once you understand 2 plus 2 is 4, you can never understand otherwise. It has become part of you, inseparable. You become one, unified with it. It has become part of your blood system. So it nourishes you, it nurtures you. Garments are external. On the other hand, garments have an advantage. Because the fact that garments are external, says garments, one of the rabbis used to call clothes mechabdusa, they honor me. Clothes bring dignity to a person. That means that clothes in a certain sense are greater than a person. And that's why they can elevate a person. They can give dignity to a person. Food doesn't give you dignity. If you internalize it, then the food measures up to you. It can't take you beyond yourself. Clothes can elevate a person. It dignifies a person. It elevates a person to a whole different level. Because clothes, the fact that they're outside the person means they come from a higher level than the person. And therefore they can elevate you. They can give you an aura. It's an aura that elevates the whole person. And that's why you don't internalize the clothes. Because you can't internalize it. Because it's greater than you. You can't internalize it. And in turn, the clothes, the proper clothes, elevates a person. And so too, spiritually speaking, the mitzvot elevate the soul. Because by doing God's will... And doing the will of Hashem, doing the mitzvah precisely, exactly, fulfilling the mitzvah. Which is only if you do it precisely, exactly the way God wants you to do it, as spelled out, down to the tiniest last detail. Otherwise you don't have a mitzvah. And I want to turn Wednesday night into Shabbos. I'm going skiing at the weekend. (laughs) It's like me. I'll light a candle. I'll eat eat a piece of kugel. (laughs) It won't do anything. You know, the mitzvah has to be exactly at the right time, exactly the way it should be, and very precisely. But why, why do the details matter? Why are we getting caught, caught up in the details? It's the feeling that matters. It's the, you know, it's just, yes, it's exactly what matters. The tiniest detail. Because this is Hashem's will. Either you have Hashem's will, or you don't have Hashem's will. And if you, only if you do it 100% the way Hashem wants to do it, that's why Hashem wanted. it. And if you put on the tefillin this way and this, then you fulfill the mitzvah. If you eat the matzah this way and the matzah is exactly that way, then you have the mitzvah, otherwise you don't have the mitzvah. So this becomes the garments of the soul. And this encompasses the soul. And dignifies the soul and elevates the soul and allows the soul, after 120 years to receive and absorb the infinite light, a glimmer of a ray of Hashem's infinite transcendent self that completely transcends the whole frame of reference of the whole universe, spiritual universe, all the universe. This is the power of a mitzvah that Hashem gave us at Sinai. Only through a mitzvah, not through religion, not through mysticism, not through meditation, not through art, not through music, but only through a mitzvah. By physically doing the mitzvah, and doing the mitzvah exactly behaving like a Jew should behave and acting the way a Jew should act and speaking like a Jew should speak and thinking like a Jew should and doing the 613 mitzvot in our daily life exactly as Hashem wants it precisely then we connect with the will of Hashem which is Hashem Himself Hashem's transcendent self and this becomes the clothes that elevate the soul that enables us only after 120 years because although we are doing the mitzvah today. But today we can't receive this light. We are affecting this, this, this. We are creating and affecting. Making this connection. And drawing down God's will. And drawing down God himself. Because you can't separate the will from, this, from the person who desires the will. So you can't separate God's will from God himself. It means God himself is drawn down when you do a mitzvah. But while we're alive in this physical world, we don't sense it. Unless there are exceptions. Unless a very holy tzaddik, a very holy Jew. Someone on the level of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and the matriarchs, who when they do a mitzvah, it says they had a glimpse, a taste of the world to come while they were alive. Because when they do a mitzvah, today, these very holy, righteous people, holy people, they already sense some of that glimmer and that ray of the infinite. And that's why when they do a mitzvah, they're so ecstatic, they're so passionate, they're so enthusiastic, they're so. because nothing like a mitzvah exists. Not religion and not mysticism, not meditation. There's nothing in the world that can give you what a mitzvah can give you. And they get so excited about physically doing the mitzvah putting on the tefillin, wrapping themselves up in the talit, giving tzedakah, they just get a sense of that touching the divine, and they feel touched by the divine. But most people only get the sense, the reward is after 120, when the soul leaves the body, is no longer encumbered by the physical, by the ego, by the coarseness and crassness of the physical, then the soul could receive a glimmer and ray of this infinite transcendent self of Hashem. And the only way they can receive it is also the mitzvah also acts as their garment, enables them to receive it. It's a protective garment. Because otherwise they will be completely blinded and nullified. The soul will be completely nullified and blinded by this infinite light. So the light comes as a result of the mitzvah. Which draws down the infinite light, but the mitzvah also acts as a shield, as a protection, a cloth, a garment that allows the soul to be able to enjoy this light and bask in this light and receive this light and benefit from this light and be elevated by this light. So, mitzvahs are a cool thing to do. There's a reason we spend our whole life doing mitzvah, 120 years, day in, day out. Those who don't do mitzvahs, they don't know what they're missing. Wasting, wasting all their energies on foolishness while all the gold is right in front of us all the riches and when the soul goes to its eternal eternal reward what is the reward? the mitzvah the mitzvah generates the reward and the mitzvah enables them to receive that reward but although it's generated through our lifetime and how we live our daily lives here and now, today, but we don't enjoy that reward today. Because we're not equipped to receive that reward today. Because we're very physical, we're very coarse, we're very crass, and we don't, we don't have the tools, the sensitivities. We're not tuned in. So We don't have the tools to receive it. When the soul leaves the body, then the soul is able to... Receive the reward, enjoy the reward, and bask in the reward. So this garment, this is the reward of the mitzvah. While Torah becomes the food that nourishes the soul in heaven. Just like in this world we need food and clothing, so too in uh, in in the world, in the afterlife, after 120 years, the soul also needs food, nourishment, and clothing. So the food comes from the Torah that we learn in this world, and the, the garments come from the mitzvah that we do in this world. I mean, this is very uh, heavy-duty stuff, powerful stuff. But um, just learning about it and understanding it can light a little fire and give us a, a enthusiasm for doing the mitzvah even if we don't experience any of this uh, here and now, but knowing this can, should give us a, little, uh, a light of fire and give us a little, uh, you know, to do the mitzvah with a little more focus, a little more enthusiasm. Because we can be aware, the Altarebi is making us aware of what we're accomplishing when we do a mitzvah, every time we do a mitzvah, and how powerful and profound mitzvot are. They're not obligations, they're not rituals, they're not customs. It's a link, it's a connection, it's a divine link, it's God's will. This is what connects us to God's will. But we can't absorb it. We're just listening to God. We're obeying God, we're obeying His will, we're obeying His wish, we're obeying His commandment. So it creates a connection, but it becomes a garment. We're not internalizing it. Because we're not a vessel, we're not a vehicle. We can't internalize it. it's The infinite. God Himself, God's essence. But we could connect with God's essence by fulfilling his wish and fulfilling his will and doing the mitzvah exactly as God wants us to fulfill the mitzvah lead a Jewish life that's how we connect with God we touch the divine and we're touched by the divine and this generates eternal consequences eternal reward that we will enjoy after 120 the
2: essence
0: of this from the infinite I'm stopped for life. It's a garment and encompassing light for the ten Sephirot, the four worlds, Asura, Beriah, Yetzira, and Asiya, which evolve from cause to cause and from rung to rung. These sephirot being referred to as the Nammalah or
1: Basically, Kabbalah talks about the four worlds. The four worlds, each comprise of ten sephirot which are divine. But these, this level of the divine is the way God encloses himself within the world, so to speak. He's encompassed and grasped within the world. The angels could sense their energy. And even the world of emanation, the divine world of emanation, but nevertheless, it's a finite world. So the divinity of these four worlds are the way God contracts himself and encloses himself in a way that we can grasp. That's why there are 10 spheres, 10 and not 9, not 11. In other words, they're already finite, defined qualities. You talk of God's wisdom and God's understanding and God's love and God's <clears throat> compassion and God's kindness and God's strength. So these are all the way God contracts himself and encloses himself in a very limited, limited way. At like the famous analogy, Rabbi Dov Ber, the Maggid of Mezritch, the second leader of the Hasidic movement, that um, he says Einstein wants to play. Because he was he was before Einstein, but just to use a modern analogy, Einstein wants to play with his little kid, little baby. So if Einstein is going to put his baby on his lap and start talking about uh, the theory of relativity and <laughs> and uh, time bends and space bends, you know. I mean, the little child will cry. You know, it's totally over his head. So Einstein has to communicate with his baby. What's he, he going to do? So he gets on all four, starts playing horsey, starts oohing and eyeing the baby. Rolls on his stomach. Rolls the baby on his stomach. And the baby is laughing. They're communicating because he went into the baby's world. He's talking on the baby's level. So God, multiply that infinite times, the distance between Einstein and his baby, multiply that infinite times, the distance between us, the angels, and even the souls, and God. So God wants to communicate with us. Because God is undefined. Not only is God infinite, He's undefined. God is wisdom. God is love. The moment you open your mouth, it's not God. God is infinite. God is Infinite is also a limitation. The definition, it's infinite, not finite God is beyond any definition, any description so how do we communicate with God? there's no way for us to communicate with God we're like, the moment we open our mouth we're already distorting and there's no connection but God wants to communicate with us because his love for us is so infinite like, the, like Einstein wants to, wants to communicate with his baby See, so God, so to speak, gets an O4 and starts tickling us and starts talking our baby talk So suddenly we talk of so God emanates from within within himself, wisdom, divine wisdom. To God, divine wisdom is baby talk. Wisdom? What's wisdom? Wisdom is a finite defined, called wisdom. God is beyond, God is infinite, undefined. But we are very limited. So God wants to speak to us. So God concentrated Himself, so to speak, and emanated from within Himself the ten sefirot, wisdom and love and compassion. So now we can relate to God. God is loving. Now, oh, I can relate to it. I have love, and God is infinite love. We have wisdom, hopefully, so God is infinite wisdom. So we can, we can relate, we can talk, we have a common language. Otherwise, there's no communication. So that's what we call mamalikalam. These ten sefirot, This is God fulfilling all the world. Even the world of emanation, the divine world of emanation, it's very limited. God Himself remains completely transcendent. And that's why we have the gift of the Torah, the gift of the mitzvah, the gift of revelation, the gift gift of Mount Sinai, which is light years ahead of religion and mysticism. Because mitzvah through the Torah, through the divine revelation at Mount Sinai, which only happened once and will never happen again, God revealed Himself, communicated with us, communicated His essence to us, because by us fulfilling His will, we are touching the divine essence. He has given us the ability to touch the divine. That's why it's important for us to touch the divine, it's important for us to do a mitzvah. Why mitzvot are so key, are so critical, are so crucial? Why isn't it enough to be religious, commune with the angels, meditate, be spiritual, sublime, heavenly experiences, dazzling, higher levels of consciousness, music, heavenly music, art? What do I need? Mitzvah? What have to take leather straps and put tie it on my hand? What have to light a candle? What have to give penny to tzedakah? Why do I have to do? Shake the lulav in the Esther? Why do I have to physically eat the matzah? You don't understand. That's the only way we touch the divine. God, in His infinite love and infinite kindness, gave us the ability to. He communicated this garment, this infinite self that transcends the whole universe and the whole frame of reference, even the divine sphirot. And He communicated that to us, and enabled us to touch through the garment to touch his transcendent self. How can you not be enthusiastic and passionate about a mitzvah once you appreciate how this mitzvah transcends the whole universe and all the meditation in the world? Like the beautiful story with the Hasid who worked on himself and deprived himself from eating and fasted and refining himself, refining his character... Never slept in a bed. He would just learn all night till he collapsed and fell asleep, and and all this deprivation and working himself spiritually, working himself to death. He died young. But he was totally fully conscious till the end. And the night that he died, he was surrounded by all of his colleagues, Hasidim, his friends, and he felt that he's about to go. And he said, "You know, I would give up." my 30 years of fasting and self-deprivation, just I should live till the morning, just to have the opportunity to put on tefillin once more in my life. And he passed away before he had that chance. And his friend said, he's 100% right. But In order to feel that and to appreciate that, he had to fast for 30 years, years to appreciate the power of a mitzvah. Religion and mysticism and spirituality is only good if it serves the purpose of helping you realize the power of doing a physical mitzvah. If you realize that putting on tefillin once in your life is worth more than a hundred years of meditation, an angel singing to God for a thousand years could never experience, can never touch the divine like you could, the Jew, when he sits and puts on that tefillin or lights that candle, or eats that matz, or hears, blows the shofar, shakes the lulav and the esrat, sits in the sukkah, learns Torah, even physical law, anything in the Torah, then, then that spirituality is, effect, is productive, because it opens you up, that there's a whole other reality. Instead of looking at mitzvah as a burden, as an obligation, you realize that a mitzvah is an opportunity. Through one mitzvah, you leap above the whole universe. One mitzvah you can accomplish more than all the angels throughout their whole existence. You realize what a gift, Matan Torah is a gift, obligations, burden, out of guilt, rituals, customs, are you kidding? This is as real as it gets. This is the divine will. When you do a mitzvah, you're touching the divine, you're being touched by the divine. You'll never be the same. That's why when a Jew does one mitzvah, puts on film for the first time in his life, a woman lights a candle for the first time in her life, she'll never be the same. She'll never be the same. You were touched by the divine. You can never be the same. You can't imagine the effect that that single mitzvah will completely transform your life. And you don't feel it now. You feel it down the road. But you've changed something happened in your life that changed you forever you were touched by the divine and that's what he's explaining here that, that that's why it's important to do the mitzvah because even though you have the ten sfirot and you have the divine sfirot and you have the divine world of, of emanation but that's all the level of mamalik and God fills all the worlds that's where God concentrates himself and limits himself so to speak and enters into our realm, but in order to touch the Divine Himself, God Himself, the only way to do that, to to receive that garment that hovers over us, that's above us, that elevates us, is only by doing the mitzvah. We'll discuss next week, having explained why the mitzvah is the transcendent light's which transcends even the world of emanation, and the Ten wrote, the divine illumination, in the world of emanation and the other worlds, and it's only by doing the mitzvah that we draw down God's garment, which encompasses us, then why does he say that, that this, inf- this infinite light that we draw down, this transcendent light that we draw down, radiates within, through the Ten Svirot. Why is it important for it to go through the Ten Svirot? If it's an infinite light that transcends the Ten Svirot, then it should come directly. We touch the Divine, we're touched by the Divine, and it should bypass all of the worlds. So why does he say that it comes, but it has to, yes, we draw and elicit this infinite transcendent light, but it has to come through the... It radiates within the ten Svirot. It has to come through the ten Svirot. Although we just finished explaining that the ten svirot, the ten divine illuminations, come from the level where God fills all the worlds. While the light of the mitzvah comes from the, it draws down the light where God transcends the world. So then the two should be completely separate. Why does he say that the, the transcendent light is radiated and illuminates, passes through the internal light through the 10th sphere So, to be continued. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes
0: available at LessonsInTanya.com.